Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's tune in as we listen to Pastor Wes Offenbaugh speak an encouraging word titled, Better in the End. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you today. God bless you. Uh, let's say a prayer together. Father, we just want you to be exalted through your word, and we want to have a wonderful time of fellowship with you. So come and be with us, and uh, uh, just teach us by your Holy Spirit. And we vow to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm speaking a message called Better in the End, and the text is from Psalm 66, verse 11 through 12 in the Passion Translation, which says, We pass through fire and flood, yet in the end... You always bring us out better than we were before, saturated with your goodness. Now, my first point is uh, doesn't have a lot of words with it, but it's very, uh, very important. And that is, whatever you're going through, God intends to bring you out better than you were before. So, you may go through fire and flood, but in the end, God wants to bring you out better. Now, uh we, you see, we pass through things, but not just to get through them. We go through them to get to something. And uh, and the getting to is to be more intimate with God, to come out knowing Him, to come out having a greater fellowship with Him. And, uh, of course, He can have all kinds of ways of making it better than before, but nothing is better than having an increased uh, uh, friendship and and oneness with him. Now, my second point is that my biggest problem is not the fire or the flood. External problems are not to be feared because God easily mixes grace with them and turns them into miracles. So we're not supposed to complain about external problems or fear them, but rather we're supposed to say that's a perfectly good problem and then expect God to mix grace with it and turn it into some kind of a miracle. And and over the years, God taught me never to waste those kind of things, but to believe that they'll be converted into blessings and miracles. So those type of things are outside of us. They're not problems of the heart. And uh, in those cases, then we just praise God and, and we expect uh, uh, some good miracle to come out of it. One time when I was a young associate pastor, it was my turn to lock up the church and I had to go around the building and see if any lights were left on. I went downstairs, found a few lights that were on, shut them off and had to come up a stairway that had no light switch and it was pitch black as if you were in the uh, some deep cave underground with no lights i couldn't see my hand in front of my face and i was crawling up this stairway and uh, uh, a spooky thought came to me what if the devil would jump out in front of you right now and you know i just i got my jesus six gun i so to speak uh, ready <laughs> i was going to rebuke the devil if he jumped out in front of me well i made it all the way upstairs and didn't see the devil and so i thought i'd sit down in my office do a little bit of work now my uh, desk faced you know the office of the door from the hallway so my back was to an outside window and the spooky thought continued you know you've got the light on but you're all alone if the devil was to jump into this office right now there'd be no one here to help you and just then uh, some kind of an alley cat walked underneath that window and let out this big and it was just uh, oh so scary I leaped out of that chair I thought the devil had come around and snuck in behind me you know and my heart was beating so fast and God spoke to me right then and just said Wes if the devil were to appear he'd be outside of you you could easily rebuke him in my name he, he'd be no problem at all never be afraid of the devil if he's outside of you only be afraid of the devil if you let him in on the inside a little bit at a time then be terrified of the devil. Now, that's a great big foundation stone for a life of faith because too many times we're afraid of devil on the outside and, and we're overlooking completely the little beginnings of devil on the inside. So what we think are our biggest problems are really typically the ones that are outside of ourselves. They're devil on the outside stuff, which is really no big deal. It might be something financial, it could be something physical in your body that that's not your attitude or your heart or you know and it many times it's some person who isn't doing what we think they ought to do 
and uh, and that could be the big political situations or just some family member. But you know, my biggest problem is always me, and and I think that's true of everybody if we just realize it, because uh, you know the attitudes that can go wrong uh, are hearts that could get uh, into unbelief or fear or self pity or self focus or bitterness. Those are usually the big, big problems. And uh, I want us to remember two great big things now. Number one, God wants to make us just like Jesus, just like Jesus. And secondly, he wants to unify all the family of God, all the believers, and unify us in a perfect harmony and peace. Now, those are two great big purposes of God. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So, uh, you know, God looks ahead and sees who's going to stick with him to the end. That's what's called foreknowledge. But he doesn't make us uh, uh, do those choices. He just knows somehow, because he's God, what, what we're going to choose. And then he predestines us according to that. And look, he wants to make us conform us, not sort of, kind of, but into the image of his son. Now, uh, the second thing that he wants to do then is build us together. So in Ephesians 2.21, it says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Now, neither you nor I are going to be that uh, great holy dwelling for God all by ourselves. We have to be built together with other living stones in order for it to be the spiritual house that God wants. So 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I want to constantly desire both of those better ends. Now, God, you know, the Bible says he'll bring us through the fire and the flood and then we'll be better in the end. Well, these are the two ends to be uh, conformed completely to the image of Jesus and perfectly united in harmony, peace, and unity with other believers. And God wants that to happen no matter what big trials uh, we go through in this world. That's where God's taking us. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. So unity with other believers is just a really great big thing. And Annie Scheisler years ago had a vision where God showed her three little vessels and they were somehow broken and then remolded together into one bigger vessel and then they could hold more of God's glory in that bigger vessel than they could have in their individual little vessels. And so I always think of that, you know, and I pray that God will connect me with other believers and with other ministries and uh, and, and and unify us so that we can bring God more glory than ever before. So I urge each of you to keep praying that God will make you just like Jesus. And I, for years I've told people, don't pray that I, God make me more like Jesus because, he, you know, you could be mean and ornery and selfish and God could make you more like Jesus and then you'd only be mean and ornery but not quite so selfish. So see, more like Jesus is not really a very good prayer. Pray, God make me just like Jesus. All right, and then we need to pray that God will uh, fit us together with other living stones and that we'll be built together because too many times we're like a, a brick out in the field. And we're not built together with other people and uh, and God certainly doesn't want that. Now, our biggest problem then is when we're not cooperating with God in these two areas. Our biggest problem is when we're not cooperating to be conformed to the image of Jesus or built together with other living stones into that eternal holy temple for, for God. So we need to get on board with those two desires. And when we do, then all other problems get conquered. 
Now, my third point is that spiritual reflexes tell us something about our own spiritual maturity and health. You ever been to a doctor where he tests your reflexes? He'll have you cross your knee and he has a little, like a little uh, tomahawk-like thing with a little triangular rubber uh, hammer head on it and he'll tap you on their knee. Well, your, your leg is supposed to kick when he hits you in a certain place and uh, he's testing your reflexes to see if you're normal. <laughs> well, spiritual reflexes show us whether we're uh, being conformed to the image of Jesus in a real quick way. Now, Paul wrote, when we're cursed, we bless. That's supposed to be a reflex, you see. We're not supposed to think about it and then three days later say, all right, God, I'll bless that idiot. No, when we're cursed, we should bless right then. And he said, when we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. That's supposed to be a, a reflex. Now, you can't act reflexively if it's not in you. So, um, when when we're cursed, persecuted, or slandered, then our reaction reflexively, our first reaction then, that, that's going to tell us a lot about our own spiritual maturity, whether we're like Christ or whether we need a whole bunch more work. <laughs> now, Jesus said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. And Peter said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. That's a marvelous verse, 1 Peter 3, 9. So what I like to do is I tell God, I like that idea, God. I like that idea, and I want to cooperate with you, because, you see, I, I realize that I can't do that by myself, but God can't do that in me if I want to resist it, if I don't want it. So he needs to do it, but he wants us to cooperate. Well, many times then when our spiritual reflexes are tested, they reveal this lack on our part because we often respond in anger, self-pity, depression, sadness, withdrawal, or isolation. Now, I think of it this way. I believe that God's painting a real nice picture of Jesus Christ in me, okay? He's painting a picture of Jesus in me. But when I respond in the flesh, it's like I walk in and splash some big mess on what God's painting and then mess up what he's doing. Now, you've heard of Scotchgard. Uh, people Scotchgard carpets so that if they spill something on them, they can wipe it off and it won't stain the carpet. So uh, the other day I was praying, oh, God, I hope you scotch guard what you're doing in me so that when I come in and, and, and mess it up, you can wipe off that mess without ruining all the stuff, you know, that you've already done in me. Well, I think that's a good prayer. Scotch guard it, Lord. <laughs> Keep me from messing it up. Now, uh, so our spiritual reflexes also let us know that we need to ask for mercy. So I do. I don't assume that I'm so spiritual that I don't that I don't need mercy. I assume that I do need it. And I heard a story about a great evangelist named Dwight Moody, and he had led you know a hundred thousand or more people to Christ. But when he was dying, someone said, "Oh, Mr. Moody, you're going to receive your great reward." And he said, "I'm going to receive mercy." Well, that's a good good thing to say. Now. When we hurt those who hurt us, we can justify it and waste time. And then it's as if God takes us around the mountain again. You know, in the Old Testament, when they kept rebelling against God, they just circled around this one mountain for about 40 years. Well, we don't want to do that. Let's ask for mercy and hope that God has scotch-guarded his painting in us so that he can keep working on and in us. Now, if we reject those who reject us, isn't that a common thing to do? But it reveals our lack of Christ-likeness. Years ago when I was pastoring, I had so many people, you know, that would reject me and leave. And for a while, I was about ready to lose my mind. And I'd think, I'd, I'm a good pastor if they love me. And the Lord taught me, no, you're a good pastor if you love them. Uh, if they they might love you, they might not love you, but that won't... Uh, that doesn't determine whether you're good or not. You're, whether you're a good pastor is how much you love them. 
And then I'd say to myself, well, they'll never be able to escape my love. I'm a good person because I love them. And that, and that way I could stand the, the ministry. All right. Now, the Bible says if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And that's the Apostle Paul quoting uh, Proverbs 25:21. Jesus said this, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So here's the deal. When it comes to mercy, we want to pray, oh, God, be merciful to me. I need your mercy. But then we ought to go farther than that. And, and, and we should say, Lord, put your mercy in me. I'd like to be merciful to other people. Now, you remember the story Jesus told about uh, two, uh, some people that were confident of their own righteousness. They were looking down on everybody else. So Jesus told the parable of the two men that went to the temple to pray. And one was a uh, Pharisee, the other was a tax collector, whom the, the public always thought was uh, cheating, you know, and enriching themselves by overtaxing people. Well, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector uh, stood at a distance. And he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All right, so that's uh, an example of, of us asking, oh, God, be merciful to me. I, I know that I'm, I, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need you to change me. And the Bible says that we should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12:2. So uh, one of my prayers is, uh, Lord, finish me, complete me. You know that uh, some piece of furniture could be unvarnished. It could be put together, glued together right. Uh, but it, but eventually it has to have this real good sanding and then somebody needs to really uh, put that varnish on it and finish it, which takes a lot of skill. Now, I, we need Jesus to be the finisher of our faith because we just can't do it. But we should want it to be done and so i like to pray oh lord finish me complete me complete me lord don't leave me partially like jesus make me all the way like jesus and i tell god if i wish i could present myself perfect to you lord i'd do it for you but but i just can't and so you started it <laughs> and i ask you to finish it complete me and I, I want to cooperate dear lord well that's an easy prayer and everybody could pray that and uh, so let's do. Now, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. John 15, 1 and 2. So uh, he's the one uh, working on us so that we can be even more fruitful. And I tell him, Lord, prune me, make me more fruitful. I like the idea. Jude wrote, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy 
to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So I pray, Lord, keep me from falling. Uh, and, and Keep me. I want to be kept. Boy, that's one of my favorite prayers. Keep me, Lord. I want to be kept. Now, my fifth point, bring all of your cares, all of your worries, all of your hopes and dreams to Jesus. Bring bring your whole heart to Jesus. So bring all of your financial problems and lack and fear of the future. Bring all your sicknesses, ailments, and frailties. Bring every single care and concern to Jesus. Now, I, I collect verses that encourage me to bring it all to Jesus. So I'm going to share some of the ones I've collected. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or cast all your cares is another translation. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. In the Amplified, it says, Casting the whole of your care all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. And then Psalms 55:22 in the Passion Translation says, So here's what I've learned through it all. Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord, and measureless grace will strengthen you. He will watch over his lovers, never letting them slip or be overthrown. Paul wrote in Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. And then here's another one, Psalm 62, verse 8 in the Passion Translation. Tell him all your troubles and pour out your heart longings to him. Believe me when I tell you, he will help you. <laughs> so cast all your cares on Jesus. Tell him all your troubles. Pour out your heart before him. You see, God wants you to bring it all to him. And David wrote, you are the God who answers prayer. All humanity comes before you with their requests. For Psalm 65, verse 2. What a great description of God, the God who answers prayer. Now, besides, besides all your anxieties and worries, bring all your dreams, bring your desires, bring your hopes. I remember one time we were taking an evangelist back to the Portland airport and uh, he kept saying, God wants to give you the desires of your heart uh, so he can grant those desires and get glory for his name. I was in the back seat. The pastor was driving. The evangelist was in the passenger seat up front. He said it about 10 times, and it was really getting to my unbelief. And finally, I spoke up and I said, Don, if that's true, could it possibly be God's will to let my wife have a horse? Now, she'd been wanting a horse, and I'd been uh, squelching that. And he turned around and began to poke me in the chest from the front seat, reaching into the back and thumping me. And he said, don't you ever mess with the desires in someone's heart. God lets those desires be there so he can grant those desires and get glory for his name. And then he lunged at me and really loud, she snarled and said, would you, and he's thumping me, would you actually steal glory from God? And he yelled it like that. And the pastor almost tipped the car over the car. Uh, nearly rolled. The, it was such a violent confrontation, and, and he looked at the evangelist like the guy had lost his mind, like he was crazy. And uh, uh, and I spoke up and said, it's all right. It's all right. I receive it. You know, I receive it as correction from the Lord. <laughs> now, I went home just vibrating, man, and I said to my wife, I've changed my mind. I'm going to let you have a horse. She said, I know, and God's going to give me a free one. And uh, Don had taught us to pray and then praise God and then go looking for the miracle. And so we went looking for free horses. Uh, I eventually got tired of that. And she took somebody with her, a lady friend. And they called me one day from a town about five miles away. Said, there's a man down here who wants to sell four horses for $500. For $400, rather. And uh, I said, 400 each? No, uh, 400 for all four of them. Well, I got in the car and went down there, and this elderly couple had been feeding these four horses 
For nine years, nobody had ridden the horses in nine years. Now, one of them was a nine-year-old unbroken mare and full-blood registered quarter horse, but never broke to ride or even lead. Beautiful sorrel mare. Two of them were about 35 years old, real heavy old horses, about ready to die on the hoof. One of them was a rideable black mare that had been, you know, trained to ride about 12 years old. So I bought the horses, five tons of hay, an old ugly saddle, bridles, brushes, and a feed bin for $600. I sold the two oldest horses at the auction and got $585. The saddle was stored on someone else's property in a little shed where we were temporarily keeping the horses, and someone stole it out of that shed, and my homeowner's insurance uh, sent me a replacement check for $290. So in South Dakota, I bought a hand-tooled, hand made a wonderful, much better saddle for my dad's neighbor for $150, used the extra 140 to hire a horse trainer for one month, trained the nine, uh, nine-year-old unbroken registered quarter horse uh, for just one month, sold her as a, as a riding horse, and got $400 out of that. And uh, we looked around, and we had one free horse, five tons of free hay, a free saddle, free bridles, free brushes, free feed bin, and 400 extra dollars. And so we bought used lumber at an old creamery they were tearing down. We built a little barn and a, and a corral for free. Now, we'd been wanting children, and uh, for six years we couldn't conceive, but my wife had those horses two weeks and conceived our oldest daughter. Now, we have two lovely daughters and a lovely granddaughter and three handsome grandsons. And I think Don rebuked me so terribly hard because if if that miracle hadn't happened, I don't know that uh, that we would have ever had children. Now I took the time to say that, that that when I when I said bring the desires of your heart to Jesus, a lot of you would just go, oh, yeah, what good will that do? Well, God really does want to give you the desires of your heart, so long as there's not evil. Uh, he delights in showing you how much He loves you. All right, so. Um, now, bring bring your uh, your dreams and your good purposes and the the things you'd like to do for God's glory. Those are just hopes and dreams. So in Second Thessalonians it says, "Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts." And establish them in every good work and word. Now, I want you to notice that it says that God will comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. See, you think up the good work that you want to do for God's glory, and that's important to God. He wants to help you with that. If you want to write some good word or speak some good speech or good sermon, he wants to help you with that. If you want to say the right words to somebody that you want to witness to, he wants to help you with that. Here's another verse. Do not they go, uh, do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. That's Proverbs 14, verse 22 in the ESV translation. Now, when I read that, I felt that verse go into me. And so I'm going to read it again. Uh, Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. See, I'm devising good things all the time. Right now, I'm devising a new tract called the Creation Play that's for teens and children. It'll also affect adults, but the characters are mainly young people. An illustrated tract, you know, costs a lot of money to make. Uh, Each uh, drawing in full-color ink is about $100. Then you have to have the typeset, and then you have to... uh, and the layout, and then you have to print. Uh, and even if we can continue to get the good pricing we had, if you print uh, 15,000 tracks, it would cost at least $1,500. So, you know, I'm devising something that's going to cost uh, probably $2,500 and uh, in order to get them to where I can sell them at, uh, at printing cost to people. So anytime you you start out with no money and you just have a good uh, desire, 
if you'll devise good things, you're going to meet God's faithfulness face to face. See, so I'm going to continue to devise good things. (laughs) And uh, Isaiah wrote the noble make noble plans and by noble deeds they stand. Isaiah 32, 8. So make those noble plans, devise those good things, and bring them to God because he wants to help you in every good word and work. See, you, you, I want to just pause for a minute here. If I told you you got to bring all the sin in your heart to Jesus, you'd say, yeah, yeah, I know. i got to bring all the sin. Okay. But see, a lot of people are just ignoring bringing him all their good desires and their uh, and and the good that they are devising. Well, bring it all to Jesus. Bring all the bad stuff, but bring all the visions for doing everything good. I'm bringing uh, God my desire to help Hispanics find God, and I have a track called "Best News Ever" that's being translated into Spanish right now. Once it's translated then it has to have the typeset and then it has to have the printing so but i'm devising i'm devising good i'll meet faithfulness face to face now my book 21 ways to forgive that's uh, being typeset and getting the layout and typeset in spanish right now it's been translated and all of that is paid for and we're beginning to get donations now for the printing which will cost around $5000 maybe 5,500 when it's all done and that'll give us 5,000 copies and the chaplains in the prison systems are going to go absolutely um, uh, well they're going to really really happy to get such a valuable resource in Spanish and so are the Hispanic pastors so I'm bringing this to God and I'm asking you know God to uh, unify me with other people who will pick up on that good purpose now, in addition to all these things that we bring to God, we, we want to bring our heart to him. Perhaps that's the most important. And that would mean all the fears, the anger, the hurts, the self-pity, the self-justification, any critical judgment of others, any anger, reflex, or sadness, or desire to isolate or withdraw from others uh, behind the self-made walls. Now, recently, a pastor returned a call to me, and he hadn't talked to me in years. I'd, I'd left many calls, but finally called me back, and I was really happy to talk to him. And uh, But he immediately told me that he was never going to bring me back to speak at his church because he works through what he said, we work through relationships. And he said, when you were here the last time, you neglected to build a relationship with me in order to meet with some other people. Well, I remember some people that I uh, that, that were very interested in, in helping me with, uh, with one of my projects. But he kept saying that it was his perception uh, that I was basically manipulative, secretive, and sneaky. <laughs> I don't know if he used those exact words, but that was what he was strongly implying. And uh, I told him his perception was, you know, 100% wrong, uh, but he kept uh, insisting on it. So after the phone call, you know, I was just very troubled, and uh, I haven't been bothered like that for a long, long time, for years. Uh, And uh, that his words kind of hit between the joints of my armor, so to speak. Now, King David wrote in uh, Psalm 69:20, "Reproach has broken my heart." Well, that was reproach, and it and it hit me a little bit, and uh, took me a few days to recover. And then, when I recovered, I was able to write him a very, very nice letter, and uh, and I sent him a nice gift and told him that I would always pray for him, and ask him to always pray for me. And I felt it was worded really good without any words that were, uh, you know, reproachful back to him. But through that, listen to this now, God showed me something about people that talk about working through relationships. And I, and I realized that they're often the very hardest people to have a friendship with. Because by definition, a relationship excludes other people. Now, just take a marriage relationship, for example. 
that excludes everyone except your husband or wife. It's, and so uh, relationships, by definition, take a whole lot of time, and they're exclusive. In other words, they exclude everybody that's not in that uh, relationship with all that time. Now, I realize that I do not work my ministry through relationships, but through spiritual friendships, where I bond with others in a faster and more permanent way. And a verse kept coming up in my spirit about being one in spirit and purpose. So I was looking in this translation and that translation, and I finally found it in the in the New American Standard Bible, uh, which I used to read back in the 1970s, and I wore one of those out before I switched over to a different kind. But evidently, I had uh, a verse had stuck in my spirit about being one in spirit and purpose, and I found it in Philippians chapter two. So I want to read it for you. It's uh, Philippians two verse two in the NASB translation. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, my spirit, that's the heart desire to always glorify and please God and to know him intimately and to help others know him intimately and bring him massive glory. That's my spirit. But my purpose is whatever project that the will of God has me working on at the moment. And so when I meet people who have a sweet Christ-like spirit. They're humble and they love to glorify God. We we bond very quickly. And we don't need hundreds of hours to build a relationship. We recognize each other by the Spirit of God. Now, some of these sweet-spirited people are led by God to unite with me in a purpose and we become intent. We become one in the Spirit and intent on one purpose. And this means that God is building us together as living stones. Now, in a building, all the bricks aren't uh, aren't right next to each other, but some bricks are next to each other. And that's the way it is in the body of Christ. We're all being built into this big temple, but uh, some are, of us are are built together with a few other believers around us in these spiritual friendships. And we're united through our spirit and our and our purposes. Well, when we share the same spirit and the same purpose, then we have a spiritual friendship. But that's not like a relationship that excludes others. It's it's inclusive. It's just the opposite of an exclusive relationship. It's an inclusive friendship that welcomes other people in to our motive to glorify God and our purpose, which is our way of glorifying God. Now, lately, I've been wondering where pastors get their training that tells them to only work through relationships. I'm sure they're trying to play it safe and and not have somebody come in that, uh, you know, do the wrong thing. But what 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 that ends up doing is is it's they're judging after the flesh and not paying any attention to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can give you instant bonding with people that you don't even know very well. But if you have to do everything only through uh, people that you spend hundreds of hours with in a quote, quote, relationship, then you're excluding so many people that the that God would want to bring into your life. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote, where uh, he says, uh, wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. That's the old King James translation of 2 Corinthians 5.16. Talking about we, we don't know anybody after the flesh. Well, what does that mean? Now, knowing somebody after the flesh, that's those relationships that take hundreds and hundreds of hours. But knowing someone by the Spirit can happen very quickly. So I can meet a person just once in a fairly brief meeting and be bonded with them forever because we have the same spirit and purpose. So I call those spiritual friendships, see? And I work through spiritual friendships, but you can come into our friendships. It's, we don't uh, have an exclusive little club. Now, I like spiritual friendships for another reason, and that is because they're not based on somebody's position or function in ministry. 
In other words, I don't have to hobnob with the big uh, influencers uh, trying to climb up a social ladder. I can bond with any humble person who has a sweet spirit and, and, uh, and some good purpose, whether mine or theirs. Uh, they don't have to be a person of authority uh, for God to build them together with me. Uh, they can be some little unknown saint, precious to God, and the the bonding happens in the spirit. Well, when God showed me that, you know, then I healed really quickly from that reproach. Uh, and, and I came out better in the end because I have a, a much better relationship about working through spiritual friendships. Uh, with all those of a sweet spirit and who have some wonderful purpose, some way of glorifying God in the earth. Now, I might bond with their purpose or mission and help them, and I want to be open to that. I don't want to just look for people who will bond with whatever purpose I'm working on. They might bond with my purpose or mission and help me, and we might help each other uh, on, and, and uh, end up uh, helping each other with two wonderful purposes and complete them, theirs and mine. So I'm not just looking for others to bond with my pet uh, purpose, vision, or project. I've got to be ready to bond with their spiritual purpose or project and, and sing harmony with them, so to speak. I mean, when I'm in a church service and people are singing, a lot of times I'll, I'll try to sing harmony. Uh, and that's the way we want to do when somebody else is singing the melody, so to speak. We, we can harmonize. It may be their purpose, their vision, but we can help them. And that's as if we're singing harmony. Now, all of God's kingdom in heaven is very harmonious. Everybody's getting along wonderfully. There's beautiful unity. So, after writing Philippians 2, 1 through 2, that's the verse I quoted where it says, you know, uh, have uh, the same mind and uh, the same spirit and uh, and the same purpose. He said, the next verse then says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, yes. So when they have a good purpose, we want to. Uh, we don't want to just be focused on our own, hoping people will bond with us. Uh, we want to say, Lord, do you want me to help them? And, uh, and and be interested in the interests of others. And in this way, we'll make the Apostle Paul's joy complete. You see, he's up there in that great cloud of witnesses watching us run our earthly race. And the people in heaven, uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, talks about that great cloud of witnesses. They're watching us. They're cheering us as we run our race. And, and we give them joy when we unite when we're one in spirit and purpose and uh, we're bonding in eternal friendships and then we're being built together as living stones who all work together in harmony and, and are devoid of pretension and self-importance. Now, my seventh point is Jesus said, come by from me. The risen Christ appeared to the apostle John and he gave him a message for the Laodicean church and the message is this. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now, if you'll notice the word he said, I counsel you to buy from me those three things. So one day I was reading the red letter edition of the Bible and I wanted to just read, you know, all the words of Jesus. On, and uh, so I read from Matthew all the way into Revelation, reading the red letters. But when I came to that, I noticed the word by for the first time. I'd read the scripture hundreds, if not thousands of times and uh, never really noticed the word by. So I said, Lord, how could we buy a white robe of righteousness? That makes it look like you don't know your own theology. <laughs> and I quoted a few verses about uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I quoted several others to make my point. And the Holy Spirit said, turn to Isaiah 55, 1. So I turned over there and it says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, 
Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Well, then the Holy Spirit gave me understanding, something I never realized, that when you buy with money, there is an exchange of equal value. The money is worth the milk. The milk is worth the money. You just make an exchange of equal value. Now, when you're buying a car, you hope that there's an equal exchange. (laughs) You hope that car is worth the money you pay. (laughs) So when you buy without money, there has to be an exchange or it couldn't be called buying But you see, it isn't equal at all. In fact, we exchange our trash for God's treasure. We trade in all of our worthless anger and self-pity and and we receive the treasures of patience and love and spiritual understanding. So God is asking you and me and all of his people, have you no trash to trade in? Now, sometimes we're so... Uh, we, we kind of think we're pretty spiritual, you know. Not that we're prideful, but we just get to thinking, I don't, I don't have any uh, spiritual problem much. I'm pretty right with God. But the Lord is saying, are you sure you don't have some trash there to trade in? Uh, how about if we traded in our judgment of others, our critical attitudes? Then we could receive that eye salve that he's talking about to put on our eyes so we could see. And we, we'd probably see where we need to say we're sorry and uh, we'd see more quickly what we did that was wrong. I remember one time a, a pastor, I was holding a meeting in a little town and I believe it was in, in Indiana. Uh, but he said anyway that uh, he hadn't... Uh, seen his son in two years. I said, where does your son live? He said, he lives right here in this little town. I said, well, what happened? Well, he said, this. my son was going through a divorce and he was staying in my home at the time and the day that his divorce was final was a Sunday and he was in the church and I said from the pulpit, divorce is so painful and he got up in anger and he left the church and he hasn't spoken to me since. And I have nothing to apologize for because I didn't do anything wrong. I All I said was divorce is very painful and it, it is. So I have nothing to apologize for. And I said, well, on the day of that divorce, you know, your son was in a lot of pain. And by saying that, you drew the attention of the congregation to him and you made him very uncomfortable. So what you did was inconsiderate. I mean, you said the truth, but it was still inconsiderate. It would have been better if you hadn't said anything. So you could ask his forgiveness for being inconsiderate. Now, the pastor took that, and he went right home, called his son, apologized for being inconsiderate, and the son drove over immediately, and they hugged, and they were reconciled. Now, that's, you see, he needed some eye salve. He couldn't see what he did wrong. So that's a great story about how him and his son got together, but the point is, do we need ISAV? Are we like that pastor saying, I don't have anything to apologize for. I didn't do anything wrong. Well, maybe we have more to trade in, more trash than, we're, uh, than we realize. And the point is, God wants us to bring it all. Bring it all. Every worry, every fear, uh, every hope, every desire, every good purpose. And then the trash. He especially wants that. <laughs> All right, why? Because he wants to give us ISAV in exchange. And he wants to give us a white robe of righteousness in exchange. Hallelujah. Well, uh, uh, and, and, and he wants to give us the true riches, uh, the gold refined in the fire so we can become really rich. Well, when we bring it all to Jesus, he's going to sort through it. He's going to process it. He's going to do his wonderful work of answering prayer. And he's going to change us so that in the end, we come through the fire and the flood or whatever we were going through. And we get to a better place in him. We're better in the end. You know, Jesus said that any any good teacher... Uh, brings forth new treasures and old. So I do that in every sermon. I have new stuff and then I have a few old stories. And I don't know if you've ever heard this one, but once when I was a pioneer pastor, I was on a uh, day, I was counseling a couple with marriage difficulties. And I said to the, I listened to them and I said to the man, well, well, you could work on these areas to improve your marriage. And then I said to the woman, and, and you could work on these areas to improve your marriage. And so the man 
uh, gave me a cash offering for my time. Well, the next morning was a Sunday, and that woman came up and she said, I saw a vision of a wrecking ball hitting your church and destroying it because you're a bribe taker. She thought that her husband had bribed me to say that part of the marriage problem was her. <laughs> Just by telling her she had a few things she could work on, uh, she was sure that, that I had been bribed to say that. Well, uh, now I knew that she was speaking from the devil, really, uh, but it just shook me. I thought, how can I stand the ministry? How can people be so mean to a nice guy like me? And I don't know if I can take it. And I canceled all my appointments for three days. I did nothing but read the Bible for three days. And I, I posted scriptures all over my office on the door and the desk and the wall and the pencil sharpener and... And I found this verse, I think it was the third day of reading the Bible. It says, you gave abundant showers, O God. Uh, you refreshed your weary inheritance. And, uh, and I was just real weary, and I realized God was going to pour out his rain of his spirit on me. And somehow it just went into my heart. And I came out of the trial to a better end. I was spiritually refreshed, but I was also wiser as to what could happen in the ministry when people have planks in their own eyes and what they'd be careful, what they'd be capable of. So let's go back to that first scripture, Psalm 66, 11 through 12. It says, we pass through fire and flood, yet in the end, you always bring us out better than we were before, saturated with your goodness. Now, just getting you through the fire and the flood is not it's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is he wants to come get you out better than you were before because you'll be closer to him, more like him, transformed into his image and wonderfully built together with other living stones into that holy temple for the Lord. Well, I just encourage you to bring everything to the Lord. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We're so glad that you're the prayer-answering God, that we can bring it all to you and just let you sort it out. And uh, thank you for your great kindness. Now, Lord, we want to cooperate. We want to be made like Jesus, and we want to be built together with other living stones. And so we want to harmonize we want to be one in spirit and purpose. Do your great work in us for your glory. Now let's say his name together. In Jesus' name. Well, I love each of you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426. 